Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My job is driving me crazy. Ah, sorry. Do you hate your job or does your job hate you? Sorry. Ah, sorry. I can't find the answer to the question I heard. My career crisis. All right. Our guest for this episode is food writer Hattie Deards. Hattie is a 41-year-old mum of three. Well, strictly four. Hattie tragically lost her three-month-old baby to cot death. Her eldest son has autism. How you reconcile those experiences with the person you're about to hear from is quite mind-bending. Life has thrown all this shit at her, and yet she's brave, cheerful and resilient and has a plan, sort of. Hattie is here because she's bored of writing food recipes. Google her, you'll find wonderful recipe books, and the gut-wrenching open letter she wrote to her beautiful baby boy, Theo. I'm Ruth Barnes, I'm presenter of Career Crisis. Welcome along to the show. Thank you so much for downloading. We'll meet Hattie in a minute. First, hi Sue, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Uh, interested to talk about um, business and setting things up. Yeah, starting afresh, I think, when you didn't think you were going to have to start afresh, maybe, as well. Um, what makes someone start something new? Well, there's loads of reasons. I mean, often, um, I think, especially for women, it's because they're fed up with where they are. They seem to be doing a lot of work. They're not getting the kudos for it, so they want to start something new. Maybe they're in a bit of a trap in terms of uh, childcare, so they want more flexibility. The company's not giving them flexibility. There's so many reasons. Sometimes they just have a burning passion for a thing that they want to put out there and let everybody else see. I think um, the career change in Hattie's case isn't completely detached from what she's been through. Mm. Um, and that seems most pertinent, that you have to respond to what life throws at you, um, no matter how horrendous and painful, and turn it into something meaningful and good if you can. Welcome, Hattie. It's time we heard from you, I think. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in to Career Crisis. Thank you for having me. Um, before, I think we need to go back to the, the Hattie before all this stuff happened in your life. Um, maybe the kind of bright-eyed and bushy-tailed Hattie and what your dreams were when you left university, kind of what the plan was. Um, I spent a while travelling around Eastern Europe and went to live in Poland for a year after I left university, which was a big 
thing for me because I just absolutely loved Eastern Europe and I loved the food and I was really obsessed with the food of Eastern Europe and everyone kept saying to me how disgusting it was and I Yeah, I just think gefilte fish. Isn't it just pickles and gefilte fish and like jars of really well, weird looking stuff? Lots of really amazing soups with thin broths with little dumplings and just amazing kind of salads and fish and, and when I came back from Poland I worked in publishing for a very short time and then I saw an advert for a job for something called the Academy of Culinary Arts, which it was a small job advert in the back of, I think, The Guardian or Those were the days when you used to get The Guardian every day. I was on the train and I picked up and I went, oh, that looks really exciting. What is it? And I circled it and I took it home. And my mum and dad have always been very into food and my both grandmothers were cooks for people. And um, I took it home and I contacted them and I went for a couple of interviews and I got the job. And so that's how I sort of fell into working with food. And I worked there for a while. And I, and then I went to work in a restaurant myself, doing um, chefing myself, which I was not very good at. I couldn't really, <laughs> I could, it, it, was, it was just too, you know, you'd spend hours preparing potatoes. And then the next day you spend hours preparing, you know, peas or something. And I, I just, I didn't like it. It was very antisocial hours. Um, so then I started cooking for people privately in their homes, um, doing dinner parties or sometimes going away on holiday with people who were, you know, quite wealthy and I'd just do all their food. That sort of built up my, you know, head of steam within I guess mom. you were creating your own recipes at the yes, time. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, and uh, amending them. And this sort of worked in conjunction with me starting to work for a private cook's agency um, called Blues Agency and I worked for them for about 12 years so I'd do some private cooking but I'd also be working in the office with them and doing their cookery books so I was doing that just all fingers in many many pies yes (laughs) and then um, in 2008 I had my son Ned and when Ned was born he had this was kind of the start of things getting really difficult because he he had a really, really bad birth, but also I had placental failure, which the hospital didn't pick up on, which obviously meant that he, for about six weeks, he hadn't been getting the nutrients and the oxygen and all of that kind of thing. So when he was born, he was in a really, really terrible situation. He was just completely sort of lifeless. And he was taken into this, they do it a lot now, it's a kind of brain cooling technique. If you've experienced a sort of injury to your brain, if you bring it down to a kind of hypothermic temperature for 72 hours, it can reduce the impact of the brain damage. So he was put, he was the first child ever to have the full cooling suit and he was put into this hypothermic coma, I suppose, for 72 hours to see if they could minimise the damage that had been done to his brain. And it was very touch and go for a long time. It was... You know, we didn't know when he when he came out of the coma, we didn't know whether he would, you know, sucking is a major sign of brain damage. If you can't suck, it's it's not good. And he had and he couldn't suck for a while. And he had something called contractures, which is when your limbs are totally tight. But he he quite rapidly made massive improvements and he. Um, they fractured his skull trying to get him out. So he had his, one of his eyes was sort of going... It was a host of things. So he was in neonatal for... In high dependency for about two weeks and then he was allowed to go home and I took him home. And the day I took him home, 
he was he basically developed something called Entrobacter, which is like meningitis, and he picked it up in the neonatal unit. So we were back in. He had to be rechecked for blindness, deafness, everything. So we were back in hospital for a long time. Eventually, he came home, and his development was it was good actually. It, you know, he a lot. He was re- he really is, and he still is. Um, amongst the medical profession in London, he is like the most interesting child ever because technically what happened to him, most children, it's called hypoxic ischemic encephalopathy and it's most children actually die from it or they have really, really bad continued seizures and cerebral palsy and he didn't have any of these. He's a very interesting, quirky little chap and he developed okay and I went back to work and I was, I started working on cookery books for people and that was all quite good and really good and I was quite engrossed in it and and I could you know I I sort of felt keen to get back into the working world because I think everything with Ned was so traumatic and I had really bad postnatal depression and so I was desperate to get back into work I was just like yes and I was happy because I was working five days a week on a project that I could didn't matter if I was typing on my laptop at 10 o'clock at night I could just get it done and then um Esther came along two years later and then obviously that becomes more difficult to manage this kind of slightly unpredictable working pattern of being self-employed. But I did do it and I went back to work when she was six weeks old. It was just extraordinary to have a baby who was just healthy and just given to me. I was like, I couldn't believe it. I just, it was shocking. I I just kept thinking, you know, surely she would go into some incubator and be taken off, but she wasn't and she was fine. And then suddenly in 2012, January, I I hadn't planned it at all. I I kept thinking, I just don't, I don't feel right. I don't know what's wrong with me. And then it suddenly came to me when I was at work. I went, oh my God, I think I might be pregnant. I know that feeling. I just thought, oh no, this is awful. This is, I really don't want to have another baby. I've just seen the light and I'm coming through the light and I don't want to have another baby. And and Tom was like, well, I think it's brilliant. It's excellent news. I'm so excited. I, I was thinking we ought to have another one anyway. I was like, oh, God. So I had I had this pregnancy and Theo was born in October. And actually, it was really brilliant. I had a really good birth and everything seemed to be going OK. And I just thought, you know, I'm not going to worry about work. I don't need to worry about it at the moment. Something always comes up and it always does. So I sort of just threw myself into looking after him and then when he was three months old he died and it was completely out of the blue and just unexpected and it just happened and then we we had to sort of I suppose the next year really I don't actually really remember much of it it's like a you know your brain just shuts down you can't remember anything and I very quickly got pregnant again so to, I, Tom said, we have to have another baby. It's the only way to keep life moving forward is you must never sit still. You've got to keep moving. You have to keep, you know, you know, the most depressing thing in life is feeling like things stand still. So we, I think it was six weeks after he died, I got pregnant. So I can't really remember any of it. All I remember was just sort of, I don't know, I just can't really remember much of it, to be honest. I just remember feeling completely deranged and um and obviously we were going through a huge amount of counseling Esther and Ned were just 
amazing and they just you know they were really the only thing that kept us going because they're so immediate and they need your you, they need you there's no time to sort of stop and fart around you have to be active and in there yeah so Ned started school in September and then Eli was born at the end of October and again I can't remember a huge amount of his early life because I think I was so highly anxious although I I wasn't as anxious as I thought I was because I think actually sometimes when you've experienced the worst you you can't go into that total crisis mode you you have to accept that these things happen in life and if you if you give in to the level of anxiety that you know you could go into then there's just there's just no help to anyone so actually I sort of I was anxious but I just kept everything very much in my comfort zone I never left him I had loads of baby monitors I had do you know what I mean all of those things to make it so that you can have a life and you can do things but I was obviously on sort of like you know high alert for probably about six months I'd say um Ned started school and then he started problems started arising with him at school they were saying you know he went into school a very happy little boy they were started saying things like well you know we're a bit worried he won't he can't do any of the things that the other kids are doing and you know, at nursery, he'd been so content. He'd been able to do exactly what he wanted, which was woodwork and art, woodwork and art, and that was about, and a bit of cooking, and that was it. At school, he had to sit on a sit down and do all these tasks, which he felt were really, really boring. You know, I think they're boring. <laughs> I totally sympathise with him, but he does not have. He can't bend to anyone. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't like it, and that's probably the same for loads of kids that's you know but he really has it magnified and so they started saying you know he doesn't he's not doing anything that the other children do we need to get him assessed we need to do this and I said you know he's got a long history of developmental problems he's got neurological problems um but we you know we need to do this properly and systematically but anyway over that year he became incredibly unhappy and he sort of stopped he just shut down. He stopped talking. He stopped doing anything. He'd come home and he'd just bounce on the trampoline for like two hours to kind of try and relieve the pressure. And I really felt for him because I felt like he was this little, you know, he was like a round peg being squeezed into a square hole and he's just never going to mould to that. So anyway, we entered this kind of having gone through the whole thing with Theo and still you know, dealing with the grief of losing Theo and having a new baby, then we had this whole terrible world that opened up with Ned where we'd sort of, you know, for, for years he'd actually got, you know, he's always been quirky, he was always going to have a few issues, but he coasted along quite well and it was a minute he went to mainstream and he could see how incredibly different he was to other children that he just hit the rocks really badly and his anxiety became totally unmanageable. And by June, I just took him out of school and I said, I can't, I'm going to home educate him, even though he's not going to learn a single thing. And I've got Esther at home and I've got Eli, but I'm not having him going to school. And the council were trying to send him to what they call, you know, various different kind of units. There were sort of things to do with emotional problems. And I was like, it's not an emotional problem with him. He is just deeply unhappy at this school. He needs somewhere that is totally tailor-made for him. And and I was saying, I think he might be on the spectrum. 
lots of people were saying, no, I don't think he is because he's far too chatty and he's too, you know, he looks you in the eye. And I was like, but autism isn't just someone not looking you in the eye. It is. There's a reason why it's called a spectrum, yes, right? Exactly. There's a reason why it's called a spectrum and there's so much more to it. But by this point, I was really furious with his school because there had been no proper acknowledgement as to how what he needed. So we went through a big ongoing thing with the council to try and get him into a specialist school. I was having to give up two to three days a week to have meetings with his school to take him to specialist, his specialist doctors. He's got something called spike waves, which is definitely a result of the damage he he had at birth, which was then interrupting his sleep. And so some nights he'd only sleep for two or three hours a night. He was getting more and more tired, more and more stressed. I mean, it's just a huge melting pot. So we were kind of dealing with that and dealing with with our grief over Theo. And, you know, it just all becomes too much. And anyway, the, the upside is after... Years of me fighting with the council, we've actually got him into this school that he is really, really happy with. And he's weekly boarding there. He goes on a Monday, comes back on a Friday. It is perfect for him. He doesn't have this consistent transition in his life. He's a different child. He's so happy. He's, you know, he seems to be really settled. It's early days, but he seems to be a lot happier. I think he's got so much potential. You know, if you like you know, looking at endless comic strips of incredibly intricate drawn wrestlers, that he's there, he could be. He could be a really famous artist one day. And But he's always going to need us. I could never get a babysitter unless he's not at home because, you know, he, he doesn't go to bed till midnight or 11 And only you understand that. And, and only the, you understand. The, and the, yeah, the exactly. incredible thing about talking to you, Hattie, is that you are now obviously such an expert in your son's specific... Yes, place on that but I still spectrum. feel that we're we st- we still not because he'll throw curveballs at you when you don't expect it, you know. So you you know you suddenly you think you've got it down to fine art, but you haven't because it's always evolving. Sure. And I think he is going to be always evolving. You know, when he's adolescent, I'm sure he's going to be incredibly challenging. So he's this kind of ongoing. He's an ongoing project, which is research now got project, to be yes. the core of who I am yeah. and how I mould my life because. He's he's always going to need me. He's never going to live independently. I mean, he might do, but I doubt it. I'd be very worried. I just if don't he know did. how you go and do another job when you yes. have this research well, project exactly. at home that is also your son that you yes. love very much and you're yes. very emotionally connected to. Yes, obviously. exactly. And it's that thing of like holidays. You know, while he's at school, I can give myself to some other project. But when it, in the holidays, you know, the fact is, I do need to be around. He, I need to be able to rework my working life where I'm not always feeling like I'm going to have a heart attack because I'm so worried about who's looking after Ned. And so I was, you know, I've been thinking about it the last sort of year. The amount of people who have come to me where we live and said, you know, I'm just so worried about my child. I think he might be on the spectrum or I think he's got a few issues or he is on the spectrum and what if... I can just see him becoming more and more unhappy and I know you had these problems with Ned, can I come and talk to you? Because the thing is, once you get a diagnosis for your child for anything, you're, you, you get this diagnosis and you're thrown into this other world that you literally have no idea. And you have to educate yourself. You have to educate right? yourself. And, they and become say, an expert. Yeah, I mean, when Ned got a diagnosis of autism, we had 
this huge back knowledge of his medical history. But we were still, they said, OK, you need to do speech and language, you need to do OT, you need to do this. But they, it's all broken down into, like, jargony words that no-one really understands. I understand them now, but no-one really understands when you first get that. And you're saying, well, but how do I contact... How do I set up speech and language? Am I going down through the NHS? Am I going down a private route? Am I going... How, how am I bringing this together? You know, and each child with special needs or disabilities almost... You know, they, they need a manager as such, and that manager tends to be their parents sure. or one of their parents who's bringing everything together. And I just think... I think more and more, I think it's incredibly isolating. I think it's incredibly lonely. I think that the internet is amazing. But what you do have is this huge array of like forums and chat websites or whatever. Actually, as a parent, it doesn't really do anything for you. You know, you're for people who have children with disabilities, it's very, very lonely because all of your friends are sort of functioning on this level and getting on with life and they're just out there they're progressing whereas you've got this kind of uh, this this anchor that is really rewarding and wonderful and you love it and you wouldn't change it for a while but it it, it really 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 hinders your ability to kind of flourish in Move a weird forward. way yeah to, personally to, yes. you have to tie it in with his progression don't absolutely. you absolutely and and when he's having a bad time, you're having... And I know that's, you know, that is worldwide for all parents, you know, is that you're only as happy as your least happy child, and that is the truth. I I feel that these parents don't get enough kind of support. Like, there's millions of groups out there for parents, but they're always with the children. So we go to something on a Saturday morning in this big adventure playground, but it's actually quite a nightmare. It's just full of kids <laughs> screaming and shouting, so you don't ever get to talk to the other parents. The best support for people is to sit down around a table, having something face to, to eat, face. face to face, and to say, you know what, I'm having a complete nightmare. And I'd love to kind of create something where almost like a respite centre for adults where they could come and they could sit in silence if they wanted to and just read the paper and have a resource of books have somewhere somewhere where people you know people come and do talks people could come and do like head massages once a week or um people could just come together and talk about things whether it was once a week and it just dissolves this slightly murky underworld and it, it should be something that's just there because we're all human. Not yeah. everyone functions on exactly the same level. And so it, what, Hattie's just kind of mapped out a plan there. <laughs> I, I don't know whether you realised you've actually just done that. Um, but how often do you see this when somebody who has been through what exactly the kind of experiences Hattie's been through, it kind of it forces you onto another path that you suddenly realise you're an expert in, that you're actually really passionate about, yeah. that you never thought you would be. How, how often do you see that? And what, what kind of advice would you give Hattie then in terms of the next steps? Because it sounds like you've already got the germ of a really great idea there. Well, um, What's interesting to me, I mean, after hearing Hattie, I I have no problems uh, with her achieving whatever she wants to do because she's been, you know, you've been through so much. Your optimism and your spirit is so amazing. But but I think you have to be clear about what it is you want yeah. to do because at the moment there's a lot of things going on. Yes. 
And uh, and I know you have a bit more breathing space now because Ned's away in the week. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you want something that's sort of flexible. And and if you're thinking of starting up a social enterprise of, of this kind, so what's a social enterprise? And a social enterprise is is a business that trades for a social purpose. Right. Um, but the important words there <clears throat> are business and trades. Yeah. Because if you want to make that a reality, you're thinking premises if you yeah. don't do it in your own home. So there's funding and all sorts of stuff like that. I, I think the biggest thing, whenever you're trying to set up a business um, or a social enterprise of any kind, is try not to do it on your own. Right, yeah. No, so a social enterprise has usually a um, board of trustees. Yeah. And I'm sure with you know what you've been through, there would be people who would be actually quite interested in mm. helping. Yeah, there are also lots of organisations. Um, there is uh, socialenterprise.org.uk, right. which offers lots of help for trying to set up something like this. There's the Aspire Foundation, which helps people with things like mentors mm. who've already done stuff like this that can help you. There's Unlimited, which is um, unlimited.org.uk, which provides funding and advice. So there's lots of stuff out there, and I think there are people for you to talk to. Yeah. But when you go and talk to them, I think one of the things they'll ask you is, okay, so what is your vision for this? Mm. So if we, if we, um, if you were to have money and support and help, what would it look like at the end of it? Well, what I imagine I would feel incredibly rewarded by would be if something that was running independently, maybe, you know, obviously it would have to get funding to keep going, but something that people could access on a daily basis or maybe three times a week, somewhere where people could come to to literally find the headspace and find the kind of connection with other people who are in a similar situation to them you know something that's almost on the high street that becomes a recognized place where people can go where it's not a we're, we're just going to a support group we're going to something that's just part of our high street part of our communities you but know. What, what also occurs to me there's two things there i mean first of all you might not necessarily have to start off something completely from scratch because there might be organizations that you could piggyback yes, yes. you know so People, advice centres, things like that, who might give you a room for an afternoon to yeah, start off with. But, of course, the other thing that occurs to me is uh, you're obviously really articulate and you're a writer. Yeah. And uh, I have you thought about, I mean, n n not instead of, but as a stepping stone to um, writing about your experiences, but, but, but I mean very practically. I mean, obviously, what you've been through is incredibly important, but... But also just sort of things like bullet points to think yes. of. If this happens, yeah. these are some of the things yes. that you... I mean, I find things like that so incredibly yes. helpful. Yes. Um, I think I'd find it quite cathartic to write these things as well, but also as a sort of helpful exercise for people. You know, whether it's whether it's dealing with grief or whether it's dealing with special needs and, and how to sort of remould your family. Because actually, grief and living with someone with a disability actually quite closely intertwined because you you have a vision for your child and when your child has a diagnosis of something that is will impact their life significantly for the rest of their life you you grieve that process because they're not going to live the life that you envisaged but i think you're so right about the grief because you have you have expectations of what your child yes. will yeah. be yeah i mean some of us have grief when uh, children are perfectly healthy and they don't yes. reach our expectations. Yes. So, yes. but yeah, so I think I think that's incredibly important. But just being completely cynical, um, 
if you were to write something, because yeah. I think it, you have those skills and also you, um, it comes from such a deep well of experience. And I, and you're also very practical, just talking to you. Right, well, well that happened. Okay, well, what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to have to do this. And I think practical advice is usually yeah. missing. There's yes. a lot of, oh, I'm so sorry, yes. you know, I think empathy. So. Lots yeah. of sharing of stories yeah. and yeah. not much like, this is what I did, yeah. ABC. This is yeah. what this means. I yeah. thought it was yeah. very interesting when you said you finally, you had to understand a load of new a new language yeah. yes. in order to understand what Ned yes. was going through. Yes. And, and often yeah. you don't get a breakdown that's kind no, of for, that's kind no. of for dummies. It's yeah. for the layperson. No. Yeah. Exactly. Like when they say this and they use this acronym, this is what yeah. they they, yeah. they mean. But yeah. if you if you were to do something like that, and and uh, to use a horrible journalistic term, it's quite sexy in terms of um, <laughs> sexy journalistically. Just means we must have her on. Right. You know? Yes. So yeah, I'm yeah. just thinking Woman's Hour. I'm thinking mm. local radio up mm. and down the country yeah. will be really interested. So yeah. you, then you start getting your message out you've got a practical guide for people and then I'm sure social entrepreneurs for example might be very interested in thinking well she's got a really interesting idea there yes yeah so I I don't think we have to leap from where you are now to getting a lease in a high street shop yes there's so many other things that you could do which would be so incredible it's so incredibly useful for other people yes and also very cathartic for you yes yeah I think that I think that hey it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget check out Quince they've got all the good stuff shirts and polos activewear and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands and the best part they're all about safe ethical and responsible manufacturing Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's true. Because I, I mean, I've, I have scoured the... Um, you know, internet intensively to see there is absolutely no follow-up from anyone regarding children who've had oxygen deprivation at birth. because And that that's quite incredible, isn't it? Because you know that obviously, unfortunately, there are a lot of children who die from oxygen deprivation. But there's a lot of children who have uh, various different disabilities, but there doesn't seem to be one. No. There's a million forums on autism. But, you know, and, and I look at Ned and I, yes, he's on the spectrum, but that's definitely not his primary diagnosis. You know, he he had a massive brain trauma at birth, which has interrupted the, all of the neural pathways in his brain and has interrupted his development. 
you know, it maybe has made him into a more interesting person. I don't know. But he's going to have, you know, profound limitations on what he can do for the rest of his life. And and that and it's really interesting that they'd you know, I'd love to kind of explore that area as well of trying to sort of bring it to the fore what what it means to live with someone who has a type of disability, what it means to us as parents, because we're just as important. And, you know, you know, I see all around, there's so much kind of respite for children and teenagers. There's no respite for the parents at all. They go home and they have to clear up the mess that their child has made at home. And that's what they do while their child is in respite, having a nice time. They're at home clearing up the, you know, in Ned's case, like, six foot deep of pictures that he draws and then he decides they're not good enough and he scrunches them up and throws them on the floor and then carries on drawing. Mm. So you've got this high in paper that you're clearing away while he's having a nice time going to the cinema on with another group of kids. You know, it'd be amazing to provide something for the adults that gives them that respite, whether it's for an hour or two hours... And they can't go But home. with people who have shared experience, with which I think is the most important thing. What, what do you think an action plan would be, Sue? I mean, the right, obviously Hattie's perfectly poised, I think, to write something. I think you're absolutely right and get it out there as someone who's almost a campaigner. I mean, are we heading into campaigning territory? <laughs> I'm not sure. Yes, I mean, I th- it sounds very much like it. So, I mean, you can have an ultimate vision, which would be, you know, um, which is probably quite a long way off, which is a place on every high street where people could drop in and talk about about these things. But let's just sort of, you know, baby steps. Let's just try and see what could happen first. First of all, I think it would be a crying shame if everything that you have gone through was not put to some greater good. Because, I mean, you've obviously, um, although it's been heartbreaking, it's actually been so um, developmental for you. Yes, yeah. You are a completely different person. Yes, yes. So, I mean, just that story, I think, is really interesting. And, and obviously, you're mm. a talented writer. So that those two, there seems to be a real synergy between those two things. Um, but also, because you're an immensely practical person, having a very sort of... It's almost like a recipe, isn't it? Yeah. It's sort of like, right, here are the ingredients. This is what you have yes. to do. This is what happens if it goes wrong. Yes. So you've got that sort of mindset. So I don't yeah. think that's too big a leap. Yes. I also think that because of the humanity, you'd you'd have a lot of interest in publishing it. And mm. also because you are such an articulate spokesperson for it, in terms of you'd be a publicist dream because you can talk so with such empathy about, about the whole thing. Right, yeah. And out of that, once you've got a bit of um, a push going, I can imagine somebody listening and thinking, well, you know, I was thinking of investing in this, but that sounds like a quite an interesting idea. Why don't I go and meet her? Right. I think, yeah. That's. Yeah. I mean, are, are yeah. you? You're obviously a people person. Do you like people? Yes. Do you I love want to people. work with people? Yeah, I love people. You want to have these conversations <laughs> with people because I think yeah. you've got to think about that as well because you're yes, giving I a do. lot of yourself yes. every time, aren't yeah. you? And that's exhausting. Yes. Yeah, but it you, is yeah? exhausting. But I, you know, I, I also I love people, but I also love spending time on my own. I'm never lonely. I yeah. can quite happily go away for a week on my own, not talk to anyone, and and so you know, I do. I like. Both. I mean, it yeah. could be because it, it sounds like now that um, Ned is at school and you have, you know, you've got your other two children and you've got some kind of equilibrium and but you've still got this issue about the holidays and everything. Yeah. And it's like any when you start up any new business, if, if anybody asked me for advice, I'd always say to them, you know, first of all, why do you want to do it? And are you the sort of person who can cope with this? Mm. Because it's actually quite difficult. Yeah. You know, you, you've got to you've got to have um, a good uh, sort of mindset about risk. 
because it's quite a risky thing to do. Yeah. You've got to have a good um, sort of level on things like money. How much money do I need to live? That might not be an issue for some people, but it is for most. So I, I would always start with a person and say, is this re- really the sort of thing you should be doing? We all get a bee in a bonnet about something, but not that many people then take it through. Or have yeah. what it takes to take it yeah. through, right? Mm. Yeah. Mm. What do you think the top three things are to have what it takes? So just to put you on the spot to see it through. I think you've got to be passionate about something. Um, it's got to really fill your mind and you want to communicate mm. with them. Well, I think we've ticked that box. Yes. I, I think you've got to be incredibly practical. It's all right having a dream, but you've got to work out what are the steps that I've got to uh, get to, to to reach my dream. And the third thing is you really mustn't mind failing. Yeah. Most entrepreneurs are serial failures. Mm. And every time they do it, they learn something and they move on. It's, and it's about seeing it as a series of small yeah. failures rather than yeah. one yes. massive failure that you'll never yes. recover but from. But also this yeah. whole idea that failure is a bad thing. Failure really, mistakes are the only way that you ever learn anything yeah. properly. So, I mean, I think the Americans are much better at this. <laughs> in <laughs> that, are. you know, even their bankruptcy laws are written so that it's sort of understood that to be successful, you will probably have to fail quite a few times as long as you don't take everybody down with you. So, I mean, I think if you're risk averse, if you're someone who hates making mistakes, Mm. probably not the best thing to do. Sue, thank you. Hattie, how do you feel after that? Does that sound good? Yes, I think it sounds wonderful. What are you going to do? What's the next step then? Well, I think I'm going to have a look at the websites you were talking about. And I think that the first thing I ought to do is put the feelers out there in my local school where my daughter goes to school, which it seems to be where I keep talking to people and people keep getting referred to me to talk to them about. And I think it would be really important within our community to maybe start something that I could see what people think. And I do think also I want to use this time um, to start writing as well. And I do, I always think about it. I wake up in the night and think about what I ought to kind of document and then the day suddenly passes and then you're you know and I feel like I'm quite a motivated person but I still have a small three-year-old to look after and then suddenly the day's passed and I'm exhausted and that's another week gone it's trying to find those pockets during the day to just really get things going and start moving things and I feel like Ned starting at this new school is like a it's like a, a gun going in a race and it's like, <laughs> you can start now because I because I can, you know, and I think I don't want to waste time, precious time that I could spend with Eli while he's still at home doing a job that doesn't mean anything to me, whereas I'm willing to not see him to do something that I really want to do. <laughs> I, I think you've earned yeah. the right. I think so, <laughs> definitely. Good luck, Hattie. We thank can't you. wait to see what you do. Thank you, thank you. Um, and as always, we want to hear from you. Um, we're at My Career Crisis on Twitter or drop us a message at mycareercrisis.com. Um, we'd love to hear your experiences as well or even if you just want to get in touch with Hattie because, uh, you know, I'm <laughs> sure we could link you in if you feel like you want to share something with Hattie as well, your experience, um, then do let us know. Uh, thank you so much for downloading as as always, please review in iTunes. Um, give us lots of stars. It really does help. And uh, we will speak to you next time. My career crisis. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.